Welcome to Behind the Books, a podcast by the Mercer County Library System. Your hosts are Bob Noose and Anna Vanskoyk. Welcome to another episode of Behind the Books. Uh, we have what we think you're going to really enjoy this week with an episode which features Jamie Anderson from our Interlibrary Loan Department, which is something at the library that I find fascinating, as you'll be able to tell as we talk to them. And we also have YA author Joe Tregiari, who is with us, and she has a very interesting background, and I think people are really going to enjoy hearing from both of them. Yeah, I think both of our conversations this week were, were a lot of fun. Um, I feel like Jamie and in Interlibrary Loan with his colleague Krista, I feel like they work a lot of magic. And um, talking with Joe and her books, um, I just found her very inspiring. And um, I loved how she uh, embraces her beliefs into her writing. So I really do think that people are going to really enjoy our, our uh, interviews this week. And she had a very interesting path to becoming a writer, which I think everyone will find interesting. And we will be back with the first of those interviews in a moment. Welcome everybody to the next segment of this episode of Behind the Books, where we interview uh, a staff member at the Mercer County Library System. I am very excited about today's guest. Our guest is Jamie Anderson, who is part of our interlibrary loan department, as well as reference. Jamie, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me on. Jamie, I have to tell you that even before I started working for the library system, I always thought one of the most fascinating things was I could want a book and all of a sudden it would show up from like Pocatello, Idaho. And it's <laughs> like, how did we get this book? So it's like, I find what you guys do in interlibrary loan, just like fascinating. So maybe you can kind of run us through the process a little bit. If like, you know, there's a patron out there who wants a book and we don't have it. And somehow you have some magical way and it appears. Absolutely. So the process starts with the patron. If they want a certain title, whether it's a book or a DVD, um, they usually head to the reference desk and from there they can determine whether or not we can purchase the title or if not, which is often the case with older titles, we can put an interlibrary loan request in instead. So once the patron determines which they prefer, which is possible, with the librarian, then it goes to interlibrary loan. Is that the kind of thing where you have to find out that there's a library that has it, or is there some kind of like a database out there? Like how do you kind of track that down from, from that point? So once we receive the request and an email that both myself and my colleague Krista share, um, we use two websites primarily. One is called WorldShare, is a service offered by OCLC. Um, they also offer WorldCat, which has a world catalog of all the titles across the entire world. Uh, they're not synonymous, so they don't always match up perfectly between WorldShare and WorldCat, but uh, we use that mostly and especially for out-of-state materials because the other website that we use is JerseyCat. Now, WorldShare is subscription-based, 
whereas Jersey Cat is free for New Jersey libraries to use. So we'll often look for a specific title on both websites because we always try to find a title from a library closer to us than farther away. So, so it comes faster. And also because if we can request a title from a lending library in New Jersey, oftentimes they can send it to us through library link NJ, which is basically a truck delivery service that goes across all of the New Jersey libraries uh, that participate in the state. Um, whereas anything that comes out of state has to go through the U.S. mail, and that can often take a little bit longer. I think that um, people just working on the reference end of it, and well, and that circulation, once an interlibrary loan item comes in and they see it comes from wherever, Idaho or another state or even, um, you know, northern or southern New Jersey, they are so appreciative and they're so excited. And I feel like, um, you know, it's when they're doing, like, probably the ones that, I don't know if they're doing hardcore research or they just want an obscure title. I mean, what is one of like, one of the most surprising requests that you were ever, like you were successful in getting, like she probably gets some really random requests for interlibrary loan. Uh, definitely sometimes. I'd say the most surprising one was actually for a thesis um, that a researcher required for their own research for, um, I believe they were publishing a paper at the time and I didn't even really think I would find something like that on the world chair, just because theses aren't usually officially published. Um, and if they are, you know, maybe they're kind of easier to find or widespread as a published novel or a part of another book or something like that. So when we were able to find a copy and we weren't able to get uh, them to send it to us, but they were able to email a digital copy of the thesis to us, which was, you know, fantastic. And it was only certain passages because for copyright reasons, they can't send actually the entire thing. But the patron was really appreciative that we were able to do that and wrote something really nice in his article that he posted a few weeks later. Oh, that's so nice. <laughs> <laughs> that was pretty awesome. And I get, does it work the other way too, where there's times where there's some library out there somewhere that needs something that, that we have and, and you're able to help out kind of on, on the opposite end of that? Definitely. So we both lend and borrow through interlibrary loan. Um, we'll lend and borrow anywhere between the 48 continental United States, just because we don't really want to send things overseas or across Canada, Alaska or whatever. Um, it kind of makes it easier not to lose things or for things to not go missing in the mail that way, uh, which does happen occasionally, unfortunately. But when we borrow, we do have some guidelines as to what we're willing to borrow and lend. So we'll borrow and lend pretty much any book within those 48 states, but we'll only borrow audiobooks and lend audiobooks within the state of New Jersey. Uh, they're often very expensive. So if we were to send them or borrow them through the mail, it's possible they could become lost or damaged. You know, they often have 14, 15, you know, 20 discs. That's not really something we <laughs> want to be completely yeah. responsible for all the time because audiobooks are very popular. Uh, it's the same thing with like, um, playaways we don't get those at all but and we don't get cds at all other than audiobooks 
Uh, we will get nonfiction DVDs and Blu-rays. Uh, we used to get requests for VHS tapes as well. That doesn't really happen as much anymore. <laughs> Blast from the <laughs> usually past. Just, usually just DVD. One of the things I wondered, because all of us take these kind of these funky paths to librarianship, like I wasn't a little girl going, I want to be a librarian when I grow up. So <laughs> here you are a librarian and you're in this really specific niche, like interlibrary loan. Like, did you think to yourself, this is what I want to do. I want to be an interlibrary loan. <laughs> work in, that's the area that I want to work in. Or how did you make your way there? No, so that definitely wasn't uh, <laughs> a childhood dream. <laughs> that was becoming a wrestler or something like that. Uh, but um, basically, I want to be a firewoman. <laughs> <laughs> that's fantastic. Now we can read books about it. That's, <laughs> that's right. good. Um, so about halfway through um, my first year at Mercer County Community College, um, I started working as a student shelver at the Lawrence branch, and it was really from there that I was able to gauge what people come to the library for because <laughs> it wasn't really something i understood before them and i was about 19 years old so i didn't really go there um since i had been a little kid but when i started working there i saw the types of people who came in the kind of things they needed what the library could do for the community and it really clicked with me in a way so from mercer i transferred to Ryder after two years and finished my undergrad with a major in english and then I took a two year break <laughs> just to make absolutely sure this is what I wanted to do. I worked at Circulation in the meantime, which was a fantastic experience, both at the Hickory Corner Branch and back at Lawrence. And then when I finally enrolled in graduate school at Rutgers, I realized, okay, this is definitely what I wanna do. Every single class I'm taking is specific to my interests within the library. Oh, that's wonderful. And I really, I felt fulfilled from that. It was very difficult, um, especially working full time, but gratifying by the end of it. And now I've been a librarian for about two years and I can't imagine not being a librarian. <laughs> right, and you probably get a little bit of like, there's gotta be some satisfaction sometimes when you are able to track down some of these, you know, more obscure items that people are looking for and you're like, you know, when they arrive and you're like, all right, you know, like you got to feel a little bit like, I can't believe I found that, but you did find it, right? For sure. Like, um, for example, yesterday we had gotten two interlibrary loan requests for two different types of uh, Indian yoga books. And the first we weren't able to get, it just wasn't available for many libraries that we could request from. But the second was owned by a few libraries. and I'm not totally sure, but I, I don't think it was published in the U.S. So that was kind of nice to be able to find that, at least one of the two requests that the patron had asked for and kind of steer him in the direction of where he might be able to buy the other one. Yeah, I mean, people just really, I think they're so appreciative of the work that goes beyond it. And and again, I hope that this kind of opens people um opens up their eyes to see all that does happen with what you're doing so we really do appreciate you taking time out to talk with us today jamie you have been a true delight to talk with and keep doing what you're doing and bringing happiness to people of course thank you so much for having me on it's great speaking with you both
Once again, we would like to thank Jamie Anderson for his time and um, talking with us about his responsibilities in interlibrary loan. And as a lot of you normally uh, associate books with the library, we also offer a lot of programs to bring our community together. Uh, some of the kids programs that we have on a regular basis, every first and third Monday at 6.30, we have a PJ story time that our youth services librarians have put together for all the children in the area. And also on our Facebook page, Every Thursday at 2.30, a Lego challenge is posted. And those are a lot of fun where you can actually get a challenge and you can upload a picture of um, what you did with that challenge. Like it could be a dinosaur or it might be a snowy scene. Um, she really is creative on the challenges that she puts together. For the adults out there, uh, we also have a Facebook program that happens every Wednesday at 6 p.m., which is a virtual recipe swap. And we have a librarian who every week she posts a recipe and she uh, has a conversation with people and they share uh, options to do with that recipe or something that they might have done similar with that recipe. So that's always a great place to go to for ideas. Uh, along with cooking, a new series has just started, uh, What's Cooking at MCLS? And this is a video put out every second and fourth Monday at 12 noon, where Mercer County librarians take recipes from books in our collection, or they just share their tried and true recipes with you. And Anna, that gives me a good chance to plug our YouTube page, which is something that if, you, if people go to the Mercer County Library System YouTube page, which uh, where you can subscribe and there are all kinds of um, exciting videos. Some of the ones you mentioned, there's author studies for the kids. There's the computer instruction that we talked with Keith about a couple of weeks ago. There's, there's the trivia, which has all kinds of trivia from authors and also from people at the library. And there's some sports trivia and among the trivia, there's a YA trivia in there, which includes a question from our next guest, Joe Treggiari, and that will be coming up right after this, our interview with Joe. All right, everybody, welcome back to our next segment where we have the great pleasure to interview authors. Today, we are interviewing Joe Treggiari, who was born in London, England, and raised in Canada. She spent many years in Oakland, California, and New York, where she trained as a boxer, wrote for a punk magazine, and owned a gangster rap indie rock record label. Uh, her books include titles such as Ashes, Ashes, Blood Will Out, and most recently, The Gray Sisters. And this most recent book, The Gray Sisters, um, has been highly praised and it is a governor general's literary award finalist and author ellis award shortlist nominee so we are so excited to talk with you today thank you for joining us you're welcome thank you for having me so i have to say you know when you when you read your bio on the website it's quite an interesting path you took to becoming <laughs> a, a writer maybe you could tell us a little bit about you know the path to to becoming a, a writer <laughs> Yeah, my very, my very um, loopy uh, journey to becoming a writer. Um, I always wanted to be a writer. Um, I always thought of myself as a writer. I started writing short stories when I was around six to entertain my little sister. 
and um, and I went um, and I wrote all through all through my teenage years. Very angsty um, um, poetry, very bad, and uh, continued with short stories, um, and then. Uh, went to university to study creative writing and European literature and dropped out of university actually because I didn't want to be a teacher <laughs> and I didn't really see um, a job at the end of it. So I, and I want to work. So I, I started working and I got derailed and ended up working in the music industry for over 20 years. And, um, and I did some writing at that time as well. I was a publicist and a marketing person, as well as other, um, I held other jobs in the music industry. And, um, and then I had my first kid and um, I was living in upstate New York at that time. And, um, and I've never felt so creative before. And I joined a, like a mommy and baby um, writing group. And, oh my gosh. Um, yeah, it was mostly, it was, it only worked when the babies just sat there, you know, you could just put them on the floor <laughs> and they couldn't move. Um, uh, but um, that was run by a memoir author, um, a memoir writer called Abigail Thomas. And I really think she's one of the best memoirists. She's just an amazing writer. And for some reason she was crazy enough to decide to, to, to open her house and, her, and all her experience to a bunch of um, new moms. Um, and I start, so I started doing a little bit of memoir stuff and then I got my idea for my first um, children's book um, it was a middle grade called The Curious Misadventures of Feltus Ovalton. Longest title and also longest book I've actually had published. Um, my books have gotten shorter and tighter <laughs> since then, but it was my first book and it was published, which is a blessing and also sometimes a curse because most writers, their first book is not really worthy of being published, but I was lucky. Um, so I sort of found my, my way back to writing after all this time. And, um, and I think, you know, sometimes I think, what if I'd stayed in school and gone that degree? And, but I think that I actually accumulated such a wealth of experience, um, not going back to writing until I was in my 30s. And I loved working in the music business. So that was, those were some great years. I kind of want to talk about that a little bit, the oh, yeah. whole like <laughs> punk aspect. Um, and I think people, when they think of punk, all they think about is like the music and the hair and how they dressed. And it really was like this activist group of people, um, you know, wanting to change things. And yeah. all these people who, all these kids who are just taking these things into their own hands and really trying to make a difference. And I mean, do you think about those kids? Because I think your writing has a punk attitude to it yeah, as well, yeah, thank right? you. Thank you for saying that, yeah. Um, I hope so. I mean, I, I take my kids and I put them into awful situations and <laughs> my, my characters, not my kids, sorry. My right. <laughs> they are my kids though, but not my actual kids. Uh, yeah. And I try to, um, you know, it's, it's sort of like tempering steel with fire. It's, you know, you put them into a situation and, and even if they don't feel that they're strong or confident, they, it, you know, it brings out the best in them um, to meet those challenges. So they're not a, you know, we were so confident in our ability to make change. I mean, which is um, a little bit of hubris, right? But I think that we were able to change things like to a small extent. And I see a lot of what's going on in the world now, and especially with the youth, which 
which just makes me feel so happy. Yeah. Um, although I wish they didn't have so much to. Um, that, that on their shoulders, right? Yeah, so much on their shoulders. Right. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, my own kids, you know, they sort of, they blame my generation for everything. And, and I, and I feel like we actually tried to do a lot of things. So I think yeah. that, you know, like, I think you can trace things like vegetarianism and veganism back to yeah. punk and um, definitely the zine um, culture of yeah. zines uh, goes back to punk and all the ages um, music shows and um, just that attitude of not having to wait around for someone to give you something, but to do it yourself. I mean, to we do it yourself, we just, right? Yeah, we made all we you know we made all our t-shirts. We made we put on shows. We we um, we lived alternative lifestyles. You know, embracing um, community or there were a heck of a lot of potlucks. Yeah. <laughs> there was a lot of lentil stew being consumed. Um, but we were also really active politically and we, we demonstrated a lot. We were out on the streets, um, you know, standing up for right. marginalized people. And yeah, so I'm really proud. And I still call myself a punk. I know I don't look like one. I look like a granny. But um, yeah, it's, it's, it's really important to me because it, it, I found it really empowering. I wouldn't have thought or believed that I could have started my own record label when I was 29 if it hadn't been for punk, if it hadn't been for having a little punk label um, mm -hmm. run out of my bedroom or, um, wow. you know, uh, any of the experience that I had, I, I would never have believed that I could do that. I'm grateful to punk rock and that ethic, that do-it-yourself ethic. That's awesome. And it feels like in a way, you know, having read a couple of your books at it, that kind of attitude kind of spills over to some of the, the characters that you've, you know, some of yeah. the people in your books that, that you've developed as you've written them. You know, I am writing about kids, so they can be self-assured, but they're often taken by surprise at some of, I mean, I throw right. some pretty intense things at them, right? So, right. Um, I mean, there's no way that, I mean, most people wouldn't be able to handle it and a kid with not a lot of uh, life experience definitely wouldn't be able to handle it. But, but I think where they draw, where they, where they draw, a lot of my characters draw strength from their friendships. And, um, and that sort of balances out the awful things I do. Yeah. Um, so in Blood Will Out, it's a, it's, a, it's a character who's found herself at the bottom of a cistern and, and sort of as her memory returns, she realizes that someone put her there. The other side of the book is, um, is from the perspective of a, a serial killer who's just kind of starting out. My main character is not, she's just a regular girl. Yeah. And in fact, she's, she's a little bit of a homebody and she, I would say she's on the naive side of the spectrum as far as teenagers go. She's a young 17-year-old. But where she draws her strength is from her friendship with her, with her best friend, Lynn. Um, and I do that. And then in The Grey Sisters, I sort of even up that more because right. two of the characters are going through this really difficult grieving period and they find strength in each other, even in their differences, the different yeah. ways to grieve. Um, and then in their stalwart friend, Min, who's just, I wanted her, I, I have friends like Min and they're the best friends. They are right. just always there for you. So I wanted to, it's very important to me to like portray the kind of strong female relationships that I've been lucky enough to have in my life and I continue to have because a lot of times boys come between girls and it, I'm talking about in, in popular culture and in books and in TV. And I was kind of sick of that to tell you the yeah. truth. The teen girls I know are very loyal 
faithful and supportive to each other. So, you know, I just wanted to portray that. Well, and it's, it's, is that something, because you said that you were, you've kind of dabbled in writing throughout, started with short stories when you were six, you said? Yeah, six, um, yeah. I used to rewrite fairy tales for my sister. Oh, that's awesome. Actually, I would rewrite them to make the princesses a little more gutsy because it always bothered me that they would just go to sleep for a hundred years and then a prince would come and rescue them, that kind of thing really bothered me. A young me. feminist. Yeah, my mom would say I was a feminist in the womb. So it's, did you know you wanted to write, I mean, some of your book, the books really, they're not, I mean, I know that they are marketed and, and you've written them for young adults, but, and young adults can be teenagers too. Mm-hmm. I'm 50. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. You know, the median age is, I, I think it's definitely upper 20s. Um, yeah. Early 30s is who actually reads YA. The characters are, are young, but the, the books, like having, I read a couple of them already, and, and they're not books like, you know, anybody can read those books. Like just because it has a YA on the spine yeah. label doesn't mean it's only for teenagers to read. Exactly. I mean, I think, I think anybody would love would love any of these books. Just yeah, thank you. That's a nice way to say it. Yeah, I was going to be a little more self-deprecating, but my, <laughs> well, my biggest fans are probably, you know, women between 30 and 50. It's really funny. <laughs> right, I think I that there, there's an appreciation there for those themes and that they are within, they can be read within that age range, but they really do. They expand beyond that quote unquote young adult age. Yeah. Well, I want, I, I try to bring up uh, themes that are really important to me without being yes. G. Um, and a lot of it is a punk aesthetic, you're right, because sort of creeps in there. Even with my first book, it was, which was a fantasy, the, the Feltus Overton book, the, there was this whole um, race of, of supernatural creatures and they were basically like recyclers. That's what they did. They came, they came through portals into the human world and recycled plastic and glass. And, right and took it back to their own world and made beautiful things out of it. And, uh, and um, so I've always, you know, <laughs> stuck a few of my, my pet uh, politics in there, you know? Yeah. I was gonna say that you, it seems like you have kind of a wide open uh, in terms of what you could write about next. I mean, there's, you know, who knows what we'll see next coming out of you because you, I can you tell have you such a wide variety. <laughs> I can tell spoiler, you. a spoiler. <laughs> Well, I was just, I, I, I wanted to write a classic whodunit, uh, but of course it's got my kind of twists on it. Um, so I'm writing, I'm, I'm working actually on a third draft of a, um, of a closed room murder. So a locked room murder, uh, which is sort of a classic of, of murder mystery writing, um, but with my twist on it. So we'll see. <laughs> Bob, that's right up your alley. That's right. I'll be, I'll be, wait, I'll be waiting for that one. That'll yeah, so I've done, you know, the psychopathic serial killer one, <laughs> and the, the suspense thrillery one with a cult, and, uh, and now cult, I'll do this. Right. Yeah, and then after that, I'd really like to write a, a murder mystery set in my hometown, um, which is the most beautiful fishing village in Nova Scotia. Um, it's not the most, I think it's the most beautiful. <laughs> um, and... Um, yeah, and I love the contrast between um, small town and murder. <laughs> I, Nothing I, bad I, can happen I, in your town. <laughs> yeah, well, sadly, it, it, it can. Um, but uh, yeah, so I'm just going to draw, I'm going to draw on the history of, of the area and um, 
all the things I love most about this town and then just juxtapose it with this terrible murder series of murders. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, we, I know, I know Bob definitely has, but we are all looking forward to what you have um, oh, coming, you. coming out soon. And we would like to encourage our listeners to check out Joe Treggiari's books that we have in our collection, um, such as The Gray Sisters is her most recent one. And again, thank you so much for taking time to talk with us today. It has been an absolute pleasure. You're very welcome. Thank you both. All right, everybody, welcome back. I'd like to thank Joe Treggiari for taking the time to talk to us. I found her very interesting, as I'm sure you did too, Anna. And the thing that we didn't get around to mentioning, in addition to being an author, is that Joe also owns a small bookshop up in her native Nova Scotia. And if people are interested in, in checking out her uh, bookshop, it's Block Shop Books, which is located in Nova Scotia. And she's got a website, blockshopbooks.ca. Bob and I actually, after we stopped recording, we ended up talking with her a lot longer. And um, she just had a lot of insight about being an author and um, writing for young adults. And just her pathway, I think, was just fascinating. She, she really was just such a, a fun person to talk with. And I think when we talk about our takeaways from the episode, I think that's probably the thing uh, from talking to Jamie and from talking to Joe, just the the pathway that uh, Joe took to becoming a writer. You know, she knew at the age of six that she wanted to be a writer, did all these other interesting things between then and when she actually started writing books, which I found very interesting. And uh, that's something I'll take away from this episode. Yeah, and she was very passionate about her writing. As she said, um, she's like, I, I will always write. You never have to retire from writing. And kind of in that same vein, uh, Jamie seems is very passionate about librarianship. As he said, I think he even said in our interview that um, he can't see himself doing anything else but being a librarian. So I just think that they have gone along these pathways and found these um, niches for themselves. And, uh, uh, and they're doing really well. And they're so happy with what they're doing. Once again, Anna, this was a lot of fun. Uh, two more great guests, and we'll be back with another episode in a couple of weeks with two more people who I think our audience will find very interesting. We want to make sure that we thank all of the listeners out there as well. We appreciate the feedback that we've gotten from you, and we look forward to uh, bringing you another show in a couple of weeks. Thank you for listening to Behind the Books a podcast by the Mercer County Library System. Don't forget to subscribe and please leave us a review. For more information about the Mercer County Library System, please visit us on the web at mcl.org. We are produced by Laura Narosik. Our thanks goes out to Kim Livingston for her technical expertise, as well as to Dana Benner for creating our cover art. Your hosts are Bob Noose and Anna Vanskoyk.